<laughs> Good morning, everyone. I didn't know if I was supposed to start singing or not because like the music just kept going. So I had a song I was going to just in case. For those of you in our video teaching service today, good morning. We're glad you are with us. Listen, if the next six weeks are really successful, if they are as impactful as we are praying that they will be, those of you in our video teaching service, we're going to know how long we're going to be doing a video teaching service and when God is going to bring us all back together in a brand new facility. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26 is where we're going to hang out today. Grab your notes from inside your bulletin so that you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app. Everything on our screens can be in your handheld device. If you're pretty new to church, you say, man, I don't have a Bible. I don't know where to find anything in a Bible. If you download our app, every Bible verse that we ever read in our church will be on your handheld device so that you can save it at the end of the message. You can email it to yourself and you can learn as you go. We are starting a brand new series today. You heard Pastor Mike mention called Difference Makers, Chasing the Vision. You say, what is this series, Christian, really, really about? It's about chasing the vision of living on mission. That's what it is for you. For you, it's about chasing the vision of living on mission. What does it look like as a Christian to live on mission? It really looks like four things, that you would know God, that you would be transformed from the inside out, that you would find the purpose God created you for, and then that you would go do it, that you would make a difference. That's what living on mission, that's what chasing the vision looks like for you. Know God, be transformed, find your purpose, and then man, go do it. And if enough of us do that together as a church, if enough of us do that together as a group of people all trying to know God, be transformed, find our purpose, and do it together, we can then be a church on mission. We can be a church that makes God known. We can be a church that helps hurting people. We can be a church that's living on mission. We can be a group of people who make a bigger difference together than we ever could alone. That is the purpose of this series. Three goals in today's message as we dig into Genesis chapter 26. I don't have time to tell the story today, but if you have time to listen to the Activate podcast, do it this week on July 3rd. 2010, I was reading in Genesis chapter 26 when God told me to start this church in Lee Summit rather than Chicago. It's a long story about how I even ended up in that place. But Genesis 26, really important to me. You'll have to listen to the podcast to hear the deeper reasons why. Here's what you're going to learn today through Genesis chapter 26, if I do a good job. Number one, I want to help you hear the call of God in your life. When we look at Genesis chapter 26, it is very, very easy to hear the call of God in the life of people who are connected to God. Number two, we want to try to see how our present circumstances as a church are in pursuit of that call. Where has God brought us? As we've tried to fulfill God's call in our life, where have we found ourselves? What do we do with that? How do we need to react to the circumstances that we're living in? And then number three, to find clarity on our next steps as a community of believers Hopefully moving in the same direction together to know God, to be transformed, to find our purpose, to make a difference. What do we need to do to keep doing that together like we've been doing that? We're going to find all these things, the answers to these things, in Genesis chapter 26. We're going to meet a man named Isaac. His dad was Abraham. We're going to read a little bit of his story as there's a transition point in his story in Genesis chapter 26 to try to learn together how we pursue the call of God work through difficult circumstances, and find clarity on what's next. Would you pray with me here and in our video teaching service before we dig into the Word of God? Take a deep breath if you would right now. Maybe it's been a long week for you. Maybe it's been a long year for you. Every now and then you need to remind yourself to breathe and pause and be present. Today, my prayer is that you'll be present to hear what God might have to say to you. 
If you're here today, would you ask God to speak to your heart through this message to help you see your calling, to help you maybe work through some circumstances that are keeping you from pursuing that, to give you clarity on what's next. God, we want you to use today's message to remind us who you've created us to be. We want you to remind us why you have transformed our lives, not just for us. We want you to remind us what our purpose is in this world. And God, we want you to begin to show us how our next steps as a church can help expanding our impact. Help us to do these things. Lord, help us to hear from you. We love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name when everyone said, amen. Genesis chapter 26, we're going to work our way through it in today's message. So you might keep your Bible open on your lap. We're going to start today as we look at the life of Isaac by learning about the call of God on our lives. We're going to read the first six verses, and we're going to see the call of God on the lives of people who follow Jesus. In Genesis chapter 26, just a little bit of background. In Genesis 25, to set up the text, Abraham has just died. Abraham was the one person on planet earth that God said, I'm going to bless you so that your life can help every person who ever comes after you know who I am and be connected to me. Abraham had the promise that through him, everyone in the world could one day meet a savior to connect them to God. But now Abraham is dead. So we're going to figure out, is, like, is the plan dead? Is the purpose dead? Does it really, really work? Abraham was also very, very wealthy. He was very respected. He was pretty powerful in the community that he lived in. So Isaac, his son, is now kind of on his own for the very, very first time. And he encounters a little bit of difficulty in Genesis chapter 26. We pick up Isaac's story at a pretty critical transition point. Here's what the first six verses say. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, All the nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. As we try to understand God's calling on our lives, it's very, very clear, like in black and white in the life of Isaac, it's very, very plainly spoken that God blesses people so they can bless others. I don't know if you saw this clearly, but it, it cannot be more clear than it was stated to Isaac from God in Genesis chapter 26. God blesses people so they can bless others. In verse 3, God says, stay right where you are. I am going to bless you. And then in verse 4, he said, so that you can turn around and bless the world. God blesses people so they can bless others. We say it this way in our church, but we haven't said it in a few years. Christians, every Christian has been blessed to bless. Christians are blessed to bless. Isaac, stay right where you are. I am going to bless you because if you are blessed and live your life on mission, everyone else is going to be blessed too. Christians are blessed to bless. And here's our biggest blessing that Isaac found out for himself in Genesis chapter 26. Our biggest blessing, our miracle, you could say, is our connection to a holy God. Abraham had it, Isaac had it through Abraham, but now Abraham was gone, and Isaac had to be wondering, I wonder if dad's God loves me too. 
I wonder if dad's God is going to be with me too. I always felt close to God as I was close to my dad because God had promised my dad that he was with him. But now dad is gone. Is God with me? Am I connected to a holy God? And in Genesis 26, chapter 3, God said these words to Isaac, which had to be a game changer for him. I will be with you. I got you. Our greatest miracle is our connection to God. Isaac knew his dad was connected to God. He wondered, is God connected to me too? Our greatest miracle is our connection to a holy God. And because of Jesus, because of Jesus, those of us who sit in the room today who are followers of Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. If you're in our video teaching service or watching online and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. But there is a promise given to Christians in Scripture in Hebrews 13, 5, and that promise is this. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. If you are a Christian, your miracle is that you are connected to God, and Jesus could say to you what God said to Isaac in Genesis 26, 3, I am going to be with you. You're going to be okay. You're never going to be alone. Our miracle is a connection to a holy God, but then our mandate is to live on mission for him so that others might have that connection. Our miracle, God says, is that I'm with you. Our mandate and our mission is help other people to know me the way that you know me as well. Our mission from day one is a church. Our reality from day one is a church. And when I say church, I mean back to when it was 15 people meeting in our house, when we were a home church in my house, When we were a community center church and a small community center, the Gamber Center, and then a little larger community center, the Harris Park Community Center. When we were a church in a school, some at Lakes Middle School for five years. When we became a church in a building. And then two years later, when we became a church in a building and a school, our mandate has remained the same. Take everything that I have given you and share it with your world. We have been a church that believes we have been blessed to bless. And you say, how, how has all this happened? Every time we have a guest in who, who is a part of our church, a part of our services, they see what God is doing in our church, they always ask, how has this happened? Like, what's going on here doesn't happen everywhere. How has this happened? And I think we could give this answer today after looking at how Isaac's life was shaped. I think we could say this. We've just been sharing our blessing. How has journey happened? We've just been sharing our blessing. God has blessed us. When we were 15 people, God was blessing us, so we shared that. And we became 45 people. And when we were 45 people, we felt like God was blessing that. So we shared that and we became 90 people. And when we were 90 people, we felt like God was blessing that. We wanted to share what God was doing in our life. So in a school, we became 400 people. And we felt like as a group of 400, we were supposed to share our church with our whole community, not seven hours a week, but seven days a week. So we built a building and then we became like 2,000 people. And now we're like 2,000 people. We've, We've just been sharing our blessing. Nearly 3,500 people have acknowledged making spiritual decisions at our church in the last eight years. More than 3,000 people. (laughs) Nearly 600 of those have been baptized. And at our church, we don't just get people wet. We actually make them write their story and we read it for all their family and friends. Why they have decided to follow Jesus. When they decided to follow Jesus. How their life has been transformed. Our church has served over 10,000 community service hours in our community the past eight years. Next year, we will surpass more than $2 million invested into missions and community outreach and church planning. And that doesn't even include the thousands of new friendships and relationships. It doesn't include the thousands of people who have had some type of spiritual healing in our life. We have just been sharing our blessing. 
And God keeps bringing more people so that we can bless them the way that we have been blessed. We last week had a couple of what, what I call vision dinners. We invited some volunteers at our church who wanted to get in deep on this building process to come have dinner with us. I will have one of these every week between now and Christmas that I would love to invite you to. I would love to buy you dinner and sit down with you and take a couple hours to tell you the backstory of how we got into this whole building season that we're in and give you a lot more details than I ever have time to tell you on Sunday morning, but you have to sign up and you have to come. We won't take an offering at this dinner. We won't collect pledges at this dinner. We're just gonna give you kind of the in-depth details that I don't have time on a Sunday morning to, to give. And my hope is that hundreds of families will let me buy you dinner and sit down for two hours and let me kind of tell you how all of this came about with some behind-the-scenes stuff that only God could do. If you'd be interested in that and you have a cell phone, all you got to do is text 474747 to the words Journey Info Dinner. Or if you're old school, inside your bulletin is a little card that says Journey Info Dinner. If you're not a big texter, if you want to save two cents or whatever it costs for you to text someone not in your contact list, um, you can pull it out, fill it out, and drop it in the offering buckets. We'll have one a week. Every week between now and Christmas, couple on Thursdays, couple on Sundays, that we just want to, we want to hang out, we want to get to know you. I want to try to answer your questions. Hearing your questions will actually help me better know how to prepare this season for our church. So please, please, here and in our video teaching service, come have dinner with me one night between now and Christmas. Because at the end of our dinner on Tuesday night, one of our men, his name's Tom, walked up to me and said, Christian, I love everything going on, I love the building, love all this stuff, but don't forget to tell the people, it's because God is moving. It's not because we need a building. It's because people are getting saved. It's because people are getting baptized. It's because our community needs us more. It's because our world needs us more. Do you know that between last Sunday and today, we had 75 people make spiritual decisions to follow Jesus between Sunday morning and student ministry last Wednesday night? 75 people. Do you know last week we were in the village of Guatemala and we were in the church that we dedicated there. We were in homes all over the village. We did more on mission ministry last week in our church. Man, then it seems like we've done in months. I thought, what, what better way to kick off the next season of our church than to do exactly what God has called us to do? Not focused on the building, but focused on people, bringing people to Jesus, serving people in Guatemala. God gives us a building grade. If he doesn't, we're gonna keep doing that stuff because we've been called to share our blessing. We have been blessed to bless. That is the call of God on my life. That's the call of God on your life. But that leads to number two, Sometimes some difficult circumstances, at least it did for Isaac. We see the circumstances of God moving in verses 12 through 20. God was moving, actually verse 21. God was moving in such an incredible way that the movement actually became a burden. Look at verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land. In the same year, he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and he encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, that water's ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. Isaac, it's very, very clear, was living in the middle of a tremendous move of God. Isaac was living in a season of tremendous, tremendous blessing. Everything he was doing was being blessed 
100-fold according to Scripture. The flocks were growing. The herds were growing. The people who served in his household and were taken care of because of him and his blessing was growing. Business was booming in the world of Isaac. But what you need to realize is God's blessings were bigger than the borders of Isaac. Kept driving him from where he lived. He lived in the town of Gerar, and the Philistines said, no, you got to move. So they moved to the countryside of Gerar. And then the Philistines said, no, you get, like, you got to move there from there too because every time God moved, the blessing of God was bigger than the borders of Isaac. So he had to figure out how to keep finding more room. The growth was a little bit of a burden. The growth caused change, even though it was blessings. I mean, they were digging and finding brand new wells. They were thinking all this new stuff has to be a blessing, but every blessing seemed to have a little bit of burden to it. He dug up a well and he said, what a blessing. But they came and they said, no, you can't have that water. So he named that well Etsek. The Hebrew word Etsek translates as the word dispute in the English language. He said, what I thought was this tremendous blessing has led to, you know, kind of a dispute of what we do now. Then he dug another freshwater well. We found more water. And Philistine said, no, you can't have that one either. So he named it Sitna. That word is opposition in the Hebrew language. He said, man, I really felt like God was pouring blessing into me, but it it, it hasn't been easy. What's really interesting is when you do a word study on these two words, if you go find every time in the English Bible the word dispute is used and the word opposition is moved, the vast majority of them are when God is moving in a major way. When God moves, remember what John Calvin said, every time God builds a church, Satan builds a chapel next door. When God moves, sometimes those blessings create tension in the world that we live in. Here's the truth. The blessings of living through a movement of God are greater than the burdens. But the burdens must be addressed. The blessings of living through a move of God, they're, they're greater than the burdens, but the burdens are real. The disputes and the opposition in the life of Isaac and his family were real. The conflict with his neighbors was real. Working harder than they should have had to work was was real for them. Growing families, growing flocks, growing herds required more space and it brought tremendous tension. Blessings brought with them burdens, but the blessings were greater. However, in responding to the burdens, here's what Isaac learned. Often the blessings of God require you to find more space to enjoy them. He couldn't enjoy them in Gerar. The blessing didn't fit. He couldn't enjoy them in the valley of Gerar. His blessings didn't fit. So Isaac had to keep moving. Isaac had to keep expanding. And here's why. He needed to be able to live in the clarity of his calling rather than the circumstances and the burdens of his blessings and of his growth. Isaac had to keep moving. Isaac had to continue to have a vision for expansion because he had to live in the clarity of his calling that everything he had been given, he'd been given to give away. He had to live in the clarity of his calling rather than the tension of the burdens and and the hard things that, that this growing season of the miraculous had brought. But Isaac can only do this if he remembered and remained in his calling. As we look at number three, We see for Isaac some really key things. The clarity needed to continue in his calling. And I believe as a church today, it is the clarity that we need to continue fulfilling our calling as well. Look at verse 22. He moved on from there, Esek, Sitna. He moved on from there, verse 22, and he dug another well. And no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room. And we're going to flourish in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, 
I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, and he called, the, and he called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Huzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me? Since you were hostile to me, you sent me away. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm just as we did not harm you but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. We see four steps to clarity that kept Isaac on mission. Kind of all start with an R. Hopefully you can remember these because I believe these are some of the next steps for our church, some of the next step for your life. The first is Rehoboth. The first is Rehoboth. This word means a lot to me because of what happened on July 3rd, 2010. You have to listen to the Activate podcast if you want to hear more about it. But the word Rehoboth means there's room for us. The word Rehoboth means there's room for us. Esek, it's in dispute. Sitna, there's opposition. But he dug a well, no one came, and Isaac named it Rehoboth. Basically, when he named it Rehoboth, he was saying this. Finally, there's a place to launch our calling from. He'd had the promise of purpose. You're blessed to bless. But he needed a place to accomplish that mission. God, I can't even settle down and take care of my family so we can become who you've called us to. And then they find Rehoboth. Rehoboth would, would give them time. Rehoboth would give them space to begin to accomplish God's calling on their life. Number one, Rehoboth. Number two, remember. What are steps to clarity? Rehoboth. We need room so that we can settle down and begin to accomplish our calling. But remember, they went up to, you might read it in your Bible, Beersheba. It's pronounced in the Hebrew, Beersheba. They don't have a ba in the Hebrew language. It's always a V. And the word sheva in the Hebrew is the number seven. Be'er is the well. The word be'ersheva, be'ersheva means the well of seven. The well of seven was recognized, was the first piece of Abraham's promised land in the promised land. Abraham was called where his family was very wealthy and successful to go to a different land where his family knew nobody. And he struggled for a long time to even buy a piece of land so that he could build a home. The first place that any foreigner ever recognized as Abraham was this well called Beersheba because Abraham dug it and he told Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, I dug this, this is my water, and he gave him seven lambs. And the guy said, okay, I'll recognize that as yours. It was like the first seed of the miracle coming true. Abraham owned land in the promised land. As a matter of fact, when Abraham died, he only owned two things in the promised land, this well, Beersheba, and the place that he was buried. Those are the only two things that he would own in what is now current day Israel, the place his descendants occupy. But it's funny because as soon as Isaac had his place, he went back to his dad's place. As soon as he had Rehoboth, he remembered why Rehoboth was given to him. And he went back to Beersheba and it said there he built an altar and prayed and said, God, I remember why you're doing what you're doing. God, I remember that the only reason I have Rehoboth is because you called my dad to bless the world with the blessings you've given him. This is the first place dad planted a tree and said, this is really happening. We're gonna have a place to bless the entire world from. So God, I want you to know, I remember why our family's here and we're still in it. It would be like the original 15 of us that started our church going back to my house and saying, if we knew eight years ago what we knew now, would we all still be in? And it would be like us saying, yep, we're still in. He went back to remember who his family was, what they'd been called to do. And he told God, I'm, I'm still in. He built an altar there and said, I'm still in for the call to share my blessing with the world. We remember why we're here. 
But that led number three to the reality of we got to keep working. We got to keep working. It says immediately they got Rehoboth and they remembered Beersheba. And as soon as Isaac got done praying, he said, let's build, let's, let's build another well. Let's dig another well. After Rehoboth, after Beersheba, dig another well. Isaac's reality as he continued to experience God's blessing was that he just needed to keep digging wells. He just needed to keep digging wells. And listen, listen to the application of Isaac's life to a church family, okay? Isaac had to keep digging more wells. You say, why? The only way to take care of a growing flock. The only way to keep the growing flock nourished is to find more food, to find more water, to have more resources to give them. That was Isaac's reality, but think about how that translates to a church. The only way to continue to really minister to a growing flock is to make sure there's places, not only for all of them to be, but for all of them to eat and drink and grow and be nourished so they can fulfill their purpose. His reality is if the flock keeps growing, we better keep digging. Why? Number four, so he could and so that we can reach others. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. You probably, unless you've really studied the life of Isaac, you've probably never seen this. One of my favorite parts of the story is this. The king of the Philistines, at the end of this narrative, comes to Isaac. After kicking him out, he comes to Isaac. And Isaac says, why are you here? You told us to leave Gerar, we did. You told us to leave the countryside of Gerar, we did. Like, Why are you here? And the king says something that has never been said to Isaac in the history of his life, at least as it's recorded in scripture. The king said this in Genesis 26, 28. First time it was ever said to Isaac. The king said, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. The king said, we've been watching your life and it appears as if God is with you. He said, Isaac, we look at your life and we see your God. It was the first time that was ever said to Isaac that we look at your life and we see your God. Isaac's life was meant to be a blessing to other people. And the greatest blessing that he could be is that he could show other people his God. And the king of the Philistines said, we look at your life and we see your God. My prayer for our church is that very, very few, fewer and fewer people in our community know the name of Journey. And more and more people in our community know the name of Jesus. My prayer is that people look at our church and they see our God. That, that they look at thousands of people making spiritual decisions and they see our God. That they look at hundreds of people sharing their stories through baptism and they see our God. That they look at people serving thousands of hours of community service and they see our God. That they look at our people taking trips all over the world to help people who have nothing and they see our God. That they look at new friendships form, new relationships form, emotional healing in people's life and they see our God. My prayer is that we will reach people who will look at us and see our God. For the first time in Isaac's life, someone said to him, when I look at you, I see your God. Isaac at that point had to know it's working. It's working. God told me that he'd be with me. The miraculous story of having a connection to God, but my mandate to help other people see that it's happening. My prayer is if people stop long enough to look at our church, that they'll see what God is doing. But here is our reality. After three years in this building, we need Rehoboth. We need Rehoboth. You all might not agree because you're in the 8 a.m. service. Those of you in our video teaching service, you know, we need Rehoboth. We need it in our parking lot. We need it on our property. We need it in our auditorium. We need it in our kids' ministry. We need it in our midweek ministry space. We need Rehoboth. 
For the past nine months, a team at our church that we call our vision team, all of our elders, our finance team, a few developers, builders, contractors, some engineers have been meeting to figure out how do we create Rehoboth at Journey. We looked at our 25-year vision plan and we said, we know this is who God is calling us to be. We know this is what God is calling us to pursue. So how do we, how do we get there? God, what, what resources do we need to help us get there? And they described, they they designed an incredible, incredible facility that we hope over the next 25 years we can build to accomplish our 25-year vision. We actually hope we build it a lot faster than that. Two weeks ago, we revealed it to our volunteers at our Inspire Night today. We're going to reveal it to you as you can see it on the screens. Our artists have done an incredible job, our architects designing and laying out this property. This is the view from 150 Highway if you were to drive up to our building The next picture, go ahead and show it, guys, might give you a little better understanding. There's our current building, the blue. There's there's where we sit today inside the auditorium. And there is the new, ultimately, over time, that we hope to be able to add. You say, Christian, how's how's that going to provide Rehoboth? How's that going to provide room and space for our growing family? Let me lift the lid off if I could. Go to the next few guys, if you would. And there you can see kind of the priority ministries that we believe God is calling us to in this season. There you see our old building. If everything goes well, what we are sitting in right now will one day be our children's ministry auditorium. Our priorities for this building are really three big things. One, a new auditorium that has 1,200 seats, big aisles, a much bigger room where we can worship comfortably where we can really, really learn well, where we can invite our friends and family to. The reality of our circumstances right now is that our blessings have also been bigger than our borders. We have more people than seats. Some of us have more butt than seat because we've got like really, really small seats here. Like we just, we need a little more Rehoboth in the cushion. Like just a little more, just a little more. Big seats, big aisles, big room to worship. We believe this is a worship auditorium that will allow us to do the ministry that God has called us to do and give us the time and the space to not always be in a hurry on Sunday. You may not feel it, but I do. I'm always in a hurry on Sunday because we gotta get to the next thing. This will be a place that just allows us to slow down. We think it will create a much better Sunday morning environment that will allow our family to feel like family while always leaving room for your friends and family who don't know Jesus yet. Our next priority is a large community space where people can connect before church, during church, after church. I don't know if you've realized or not, we really don't have this right now. We have a hallway. We don't really have an atrium. We don't have a foyer. We don't have some place where you can accidentally run into someone who you know needs your smile, your touch. You don't have time to run into someone who can look in your eyes and know you need 20 minutes of their time. So we said, if we're gonna build, we're gonna create a space where people can be touched and ministered to on Sunday morning, some adult discipleship space, a prayer room where people can come and be prayed over in in some places quiet, some places private, some place that's intimate, a place where people can kind of hang out and have coffee or talk or chat, just a large space where people never have to be in a hurry. And then, of course, the children's ministry, a massively upgraded children's ministry area. They'll have the entire building that we're in now. And eventually, depending on how fast we raise how much, eventually an expanded children's ministry that allows us to build learning environments for them that don't have blue dividers, but that have real walls and doors so they can really learn and listen and remember who Jesus is in a really, really powerful way. We believe it's time to move towards this as our Rehoboth. We've been to Gerar. We didn't fit. 
we've been living in the valley of Gerar. There's still some tension. So we believe it's time to find our Rehoboth. You say, how are we going to do that, Christian? How are we going to do that? Well, one, we're going to have to pray together. And two, we're going to have to move together. And three, for a lot of us, we're going to have to give together. If you look at this big picture of the building, kind of from a bird's eye view again, go to the next slide, guys, if you would, one more time. You look at this property and you say, what is it going to take for us to kind of hit the key priorities? We can always add more parking, and we will as time allows. We can always build offices, and we will as time allows. We can always build more children's space, and we will as time allows. But you say, what, what's going to allow us right now to have new auditorium space, new atrium space, give the kids all the building that we're in right now? We, at, we as a church are going to have to, over the next two years, probably raise eight to nine million dollars. Eight million is probably the baseline. Nine million, we think, would get us those three areas of what we need. That's a big number that it's going to take a lot of us together moving towards. Say, how are we going to do that? Between now and December 15th, we're going to continue to tell you why God is calling us to where he is calling us. And then on December 15th, we're going to ask you to come that day and pray about making a two-year pledge of what you can give above and beyond what you regularly give because that runs the church. And we don't want to shut down ministry for two years so we can have a building. That's not worth the trade for us. So it would have to be on top of what you already give. And then we're going to see if all of us doing that together can make it. Say, so Christian, that's a lot of money. You think, you think we can get there? I think we can do whatever God has called us to if everyone will be obedient. If God wants it to happen, yes, I believe we can get there. But here's what I know. Take a deep breath. Those of you here, those of you in our video teaching, here's what I know. A couple things. One, I know not everyone's supposed to give. I know because I know what a lot of you are going through in life. I, I know that not everyone is supposed to give. May not be your time right now. Not your season of life, not your time of life. You're not in a financial position. You're looking at this saying, I don't have an extra dollar. Then obviously it's not time for you to give. If you can't give, no guilt, no shame, keep helping us move forward, but just pray. See, I can't give right now. You can give next time. Some of you gave last time, but we want a no guilt, no shame approach. Before we ask anyone for anything, we want to let everyone who right now cannot give know that's okay. You are a valuable part of our church. That's okay. And here's why I believe that's okay. Because if everyone who is supposed to give if everyone who God tells to give gives exactly what God tells them to give, it'll, it'll be enough. That's just what I believe. It will be enough for what we need right now, and we will adjust to what comes in because we trust God and we trust people who listen to God and are obedient. You say, what's my part of that? I'm not sure if I'm supposed to give now or not. What, what do you want me to do? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start praying now for the next six weeks. And I want you to pray towards December 15th. And then on December 15th, if you're supposed to give, I want you on that day with exactly what God has told you to give to come with a two-year pledge and a first fruit offering, the first portion of that on December 15th and bring it and say, here's the best we can do. Here's what we feel like God wants our family to do. If you look inside your bulletin, there's a little resource that you don't have to use today, but it might help you as you move forward. This is kind of how we're going to collect the pledge cards. You would tear this top portion off and you will fill this out and you will, you will turn it in on December 15th or before December 15th. Here's what I feel like God wants us to give over two years. 
here's what I'm giving today. You say, how exactly is that going to work? I'm going to give you a number that I don't know is real. Right now, we've actually got two conflicting numbers, but we've been told by one group of people that a parking stall is going to cost about $4,000. That's how much it costs to put in a parking stall. So if you think, I want to pay for where I park. So over two years, I want to know every Sunday when I park, I paid for that space. Now, you don't have to. Someone's going to buy your space for you if you can. That's okay. But you say, I at least want to know that. I want to know where I park is that I, that I paid for um, where I park. That way I can be mad if I ever have to park on the grass because someone stole my spot. That's, you can do that. You can do that. You say, okay, over two years, I'm going to give $4,000. Um, I'm going to give 1000 of it on December 15th. And then over the next two years, I'll give $3,000, which will be X amount a week, X amount every other week, X amount a month. You just find your number on here. Um, and you pledge and begin to plan and pray that way. We're going to collect all of those pledges over the next six weeks. And on that big day, it's going to be a big one for us. And then on Christmas, we're going to celebrate where we are and we're going to announce. Not before we do ministry. We're going to tell people about Jesus. I believe we have hundreds of people who give their lives to Jesus who don't know him yet. If you bring people who don't know Jesus. And then at the end of that message, we're going to say, Merry Christmas. Here's how much we raised. Here's how much we have left. Here's how much we're over. Here's when we're going to start this whole process. Here's hopefully when we will be in our building. Once, it all, once it's all added up, we believe we'll be right where God wants us to be for the season that we're in, and we will move forward. But I believe if everyone who's supposed to give will give what they're supposed to give, we'll make it. The reality is this. We would not, we would not have brought you this project if we didn't think our church could do it. And I would not have brought our church this project if the leaders of the church had not already gone first. When our vision team designed that building, I said, guys, it looks great. Gals, it looks great. It's a mixture of men and women on our team. But I said, if you're not willing to give, I'm not going to ask anyone else to give. Can't design something and ask everyone else to pay for it. Went to our elders, went to our finance team, went to all our ministry staff and said, guys, leaders go first. We're doing the work here. If we're not willing to give, no one should give. But if you give, I'll ask others. This week, we had dinner with 30 families who volunteered to sign up to go first. I, I, I ask our people at Inspire, if you want to give before the first Sunday so your giving can kind of be a faith catalyst to people, come on, I'll tell you what we're doing, and you can tell us early how much you want to give. And the reality is this. November 10th, we're kicking off this building campaign. We need to raise 8 to $9 million. We've already got $4.2 million committed. $4.2 million has already... $4.2 million has already been committed. That's in for. The race is halfway over. And we just kind of started today. But it's going to take all of us, if God is speaking to you to give, to give. So I want to challenge you to pray about what you're supposed to do. And pray in three specific ways. One, pray that God will help you give generously. As much as you can. Pray that God will help you give sacrificially. That he might show you something that you're supposed to give up or wait on so that you can give towards this season of Rehoboth. And then three, pray that you will give in faith, not finances. Here's what's going to happen to everyone in the church. Happened to Danielle and I. The first number you're going to think of is going to be a finance number. It's going to be what you can give because financially you, ha you have it. You say, how do I know if I have a finance number or a faith number? If the number you think of doesn't, doesn't scare you a little bit, it's not a faith number. If the number you think of doesn't mean you have to pray every day over the next two years to get to it, it's not a faith number, it's a finance number. 
if the number you give doesn't mean that God has to work in your life so that you can give so God can work in our church, it's probably not a faith number. Danielle and I started with a number that, that was for us a stretch, but we knew where it was. We felt like God said, no, you need to double that. So we doubled it and prayed, but we still knew where all of it was gonna come from and we felt like God said, you need to double it again. So right now, the last 15% of our pledge, we don't even know where it's gonna come from if God doesn't move. But it's gonna make us get on our knees and pray every day for the next two years. And what God does in our life will be bigger than what God does in our church because we believe we're gonna see God move and reward our generosity. So I wanna challenge you giving faith. Some of you are gonna think, I'm gonna give $1,000 and God's gonna say, no, 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 I want you to give five. Some are gonna think, we can give five pretty easy. We, we set that aside for something else. We can give that and God's gonna say, no, 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 I want 20. Some of you, if we're getting big numbers now, are gonna think 25 and God's gonna say 50. Some of you are gonna think a six-figure gift and God's gonna say, you can do more. I've been praying for three years that someone in our church would give a million dollars. You say, Christian, I don't have a million dollars and obviously it's not you that I've been praying for, but there, <laughs> there might be somebody Lord, somebody who would go big. That's my prayer. That's my prayer that somebody who has the gift of giving also has the gift of making. And God would say, I've given all this to you because I want want you to give big. And some of you are going to give $500 because it's the absolute most you can do. And it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. If everyone will do what God has called them to do, we believe it will be enough. Today, we're taking a big step of faith. Say, we think we're gonna get there? I know we're gonna be where God wants us to be if God's people will be obedient. But that doesn't come without a little fear. So let me tell you what God's been working in my heart. On Friday, August 30th, you say, how do you stand up there so confidently and say, hey, I believe God's got it. On Friday, August 30th, we were in day 12 of 21 days of prayer. Pastor Mike was speaking that day and his, his message was really, really good. He asked us to look to God, share our need, Watch what God does, then move by stepping into the victory and ask for courage. So I was on my knees in my chair where Daniel's sitting today, and I was praying these things. Look to God, share our need. I'm thinking, God, we've designed a building that I know, I know it's what we need. I have no idea how we're going to get there. God, I have no idea how we're going to get there. Um, but, I'm, but I'm watching, I'm, lo- I'm looking to you. And I felt like as I, was, as I shared the need and, and as I looked to God, and as I prepared to step into victory, I said, okay, God, well, I'm watching, but I got to move. Here's, here's what I felt like I saw. Sometimes I, I pray in pictures. I felt like I was standing on one cliff. I knew where I was. And I felt like I could see the building on another cliff, but I didn't know how I was going to get across. And I thought, I can't step that far. God, I, I see where we are, see where we need to go, but I can't step that far. And I think because of my age and how I was raised and because I like movies, I immediately thought of the Indiana Jones scene. Y'all remember the Indiana Jones scene when he had to like, when he had to take the step of faith. So I'm looking, here's where we are, here's where we have to go. God, I don't, Mike told me to step, but what if I fall? And I felt like God said, what if, I didn't tell you I was gonna catch, I just said step. So as I'm, as I'm praying at my chair that day, I'm thinking of this scene, and here's what I prayed. I really didn't have a prayer request as much as I had a prayer surrender. Here's what I prayed. I said, all right, God, Mike told me to step, so I'm gonna step. And I guess one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to step out and there's going to be a bridge to stand on. Or I'm going to fall. But what I will learn through falling is obviously going to be way more important spiritually for me than a bridge. So I'll step. I'll go. I don't know if, I don't know if you're going to hold me. I don't know if you're going to drop me. But I trust you. I see where we are. I see where we need to go. 
So I'll stop. Here we go. That was around 7 a.m. that morning. Three hours later, I got a text from a friend. His name's Rick Gage. Rick is, we've gone to his go-tell camps in the past three or four times as a church. I bet I haven't talked to Rick in about two years, but as one of kind of my mentors and pastors, he sends me a text about once a month. Some encouraging devotional thought, randomly he sends me once a month. I haven't talked to Rich. He, Rick. He has no idea what's happening in our church. But at 10.07 on that day, he sent me this text message. After I prayed that prayer, here's the text I got from Rick. When you come to the edge of all the light you know and are about to step off into the darkness of the unknown faith, is knowing one of two things are going to happen. There will be something solid to stand on or you'll be taught how to fly. And then he said, you can trust God when you step out into the darkness, the unknown, to see you through. So I thought, all right, God, here we go. I guess you're serious. I mean, I guess you're serious. I wish you would have told Rick to send me a text. And I feel like God told me to give you $10 million. But I mean, I, that, that's, that's I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm not sure what that means, but I'll take it. Listen, I don't know that that means we're going to raise enough money to build a building. I do know that means in this time in our church, it's time to step. It's time to step and see what God does. I believe if we all do it together, we'll get there. Know your calling. You've been blessed to blessed. Know your circumstances. That blessing will often cause tension, but remind yourself of the clarity who God is, what he's created you to do, what he's created you to give to others. Ask over the next six weeks, God, what's our part supposed to be? And then do it. Would you bow your heads and pray with me here and in our video teaching service? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. God, thank you for teaching us today through Isaac's story to see our calling of being blessed to bless. Thank you that our blessings have been bigger than our borders. We always want you to move in a way that stretches us and uses us to help others. So God, clarify our next steps through the generosity of your people. Show each person here, show those watching in our video service, show those watching online how they can help what they're supposed to do. Show them what real generosity looks like. Show them what sacrificial giving can look like for them. Show them the difference between a finance number and a faith number in God as we all move together. Help us to get where we need to get to by moving together. God, we're willing to step out, build a bridge that helps us to get there or give us wings so we can fly. We're willing to step out because we trust you. And Lord, we want more of you in our city and in our world. Help us to get to our Rehoboth and find a place to launch our blessing from. We love you. And God, we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.